You're listening to Awakening with Rabbi Ami Silver on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Ami as he shares from the wellsprings of Jewish spiritual teaching and practice and guides us on a path of healing, transformation, and awakening to experiencing the divine. Agba Omer, in the order of Svirata Omer, in the Kabbalistic counting of the Midot, or Svirot of each day, is the day of Hod Shebahod. This entire week, the seven days of the Omer, is the week of Hod. And this day, the 33rd day of the Omer, is the Hod of Hod. I want to share some thoughts and meditations on the idea of Hod and what this might have to do with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and specifically with his teachings, with the hidden secrets of Torah that he brought to the world. And I want to start out by, by just sharing some meanings of this word hod. I mean, the most common translation of hod is some kind of glory or splendor, a kind of shining beauty. But hod isn't the kind of beauty that's necessarily a direct beauty, where you just look at something and, and are struck by its beauty. Because Hod carries within it other levels of meaning that somehow qualify or give texture to the kind of beauty that, that shines through Hod. And for this, I want to share some alternate meanings of the word Hod. One meaning is is lehodot, is to give thanks. Like we say, toda, thank you. Hod is the core, is the root of, of the word to give thanks. And perhaps on an even deeper core of the word, Hod is to admit, to allow for something. The vidu we make, the confessions, the admissions we make, also are expressions of the, of the word Hod. When I'm modeh al I admit to that which is true. In a sense, I'm shining a light, giving space for something that is to be expressed. That if I were not modeh, if I were not to admit this truth, it would be there, but it would be hidden from sight. And so too with, with thanks, gratitude, giving thanks to another, while it may be the reality that what I have was given to me, when I give thanks, I, in a sense, make space for the other in, in my own realm. I basically am acknowledging that what I have, what I possess, was not always my own. That, in a sense, you who have given to me now have a space within my own domain. That, in a sense, the shared meaning of to admit and to express gratitude or thanks has to do with creating a space for another, creating a space for something to be present and, and be noticed and acknowledged. And on perhaps an even deeper level, the word hod relates to the word head, which is an echo. In fact, hod shebahod, when you put those words together, you have the hidhud, which is the modern Hebrew word for echoing. An echo is a hidhud, lehadhed, 
is a hod, a reverberation of hod. It's the sound that's created when a space is opened that something else can exist within and can, in a sense, touch and reverberate and be known in that way. So when we talk about hod as beauty, as glory, as some kind of shining, right? Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Mount Sinai with karnei hod, with rays of hod that he wasn't aware of. When we see something shining in a way of hod, it shines in a way of response. It shines from that which is bouncing off of it or shining off of it. It's a kind of beauty that somehow emerges from the interaction between one and another. And here I want to relate a little bit to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, to the famous story that we shared a few days ago in the story in the Gemara Masechet Shabbat of Rabbi Shimon hiding in the cave, which according to the tradition of the, the Zohar, the Tikkuni Zohar, that's where Rabbi Shimon had the secrets of Torah revealed to him by Eliyahu Hanavi. That in the story of Rabbi Shimon, we ultimately see a process of Rabbi Shimon learning to make space for things that at first he could not make space for be it the people around him who, when he first emerged from the cave, he saw people involved in the world with with a sense of, of dismay and of ridicule and a gaze that consumed the world around him. How could people be involved with worldly affairs and matters and abandon the eternal life of Torah? And he saw the world through consuming lens and then ultimately was able to gaze upon the world with a sense of appreciation and affection for people and their cares, at least the holy cares of people. And we even see on a larger level that Rabbi Shimon goes into hiding in the cave because at first he's critical of these advancements of the Romans, that they've built bridges, they've built bathhouses, they've built marketplaces. And then he himself goes through his experience of hiding in the cave and being buried in the sand up to his neck and coming out with damaged skin and needing healing. And so he and his son go to the hot baths in Tveria, and they soak there, and their skin, their flesh is healed, the Gemara says. And that Rabbi Shimon says, we learn from our avil, from our ancestors, that we need to do good, we need to re- return a favor to a place that has done good to us. That just as Yaakov Avinu, after he battled with the mysterious Ish, that angelic figure in the middle of the night and came out with limping because his hip was damaged. He arrived at the city of Shechem Shalem. He arrived and was healed when he got to Shechem. And the rabbis say, and it says, Pnei he does good to the city. And the rabbis say, what, did he, what is the goodness that Yaakov did? Yaakov set a precedent that the city that healed him, he needs to do something good in return. So the rabbis ask, what is that good that he did? So one opinion is that he minted coins for them. He created currency. One opinion is that he built marketplaces for them. And one opinion is that he built bathhouses for them. Ironically, Yaakov, it seems, did those same exact activities that the Romans were praised for doing and that Rabbi Shimon ridiculed and for which he had to go into hiding in the cave and, and in a sense, battle in the dark of night with the decrees of Rome, of the um, descendants of Esau. 
And he came out injured, and he he too had to be healed. And out of his healing, he came out with a recognition of, I need to do good to this place. I actually need to engage in those kinds of activities that at first I could not see their value. I do not have space to appreciate. And now he has to learn to give space and value and, and in a sense, adore places and concerns that at first he simply could not. And this too, on some level, is a an expression of of lehodot, of, of admitting something, of giving space, creating space for something to enter in and to, to be valued and seen in its beauty that could not be seen before. I'll just add as it's not quite an aside, but I'm not going to go more deeply into it, that the, the Kabbalists actually say that Yaakov's injury in his hip was in the place of Hod. He was injured in the quality of Hod. Right in the map of the Sfirot, as they map on the human body, so Netzach and Hod are the two hips or thighs or legs, Netzach being the right one and Hod being the left, and that the battle with Esav, Esav in a sense was was or the angelic force, the spiritual force of Esav, was attempting to damage the beauty that Yaakov embodied. Chazal says that Yaakov's face bore the beauty of Adam Harishon, bore the beauty of, of Adam. That Yaakov's face was the Tzurat Adam, the human face that's seen in the divine throne, in the divine chariot. That's what Yaakov shined through his being. And this was was the battle. The Vedrash says that their, their fight kicked dust up, Ad Kise HaKavod, up to the throne of glory. They kicked dust to cover up the shining glory of Yaakov when he came out, he was limping on his left hip. He was limping because his left thigh had been injured. His hood had been touched, had been hurt, and he had to go through a transformation of healing the hood. Hood, by the way, has the alternates when you switch around the letters, it also spells dave, which means injury or illness, that there's a flip side, an interaction, and kind of polarity between hurt and hod between sickness and the kind of healing light that hod itself can can express when space the appropriate kind of space is given for something to to develop into its into its healed and whole self so Yaakov comes shalem he comes whole to the city of Shechem and vayichan apneir he finds favor in this city that's got him Healed that brought that hod back, restored his hod to him. Rabbi Shimon goes through a similar process. And in my mind, this quality of hod shabahod is not the, it's no accident that it's the sphira, that's the day that Lightbo Omer falls out, that's the day of the hidden wellsprings of Torah being revealed. Because in a deep sense, the hiddenness of Torah, the secrets of Torah, the teachings of the Zohar, the teachings of Kabbalah, the whole inner realm and dimension of Torah shares in this quality of Hod. Inasmuch as what's called the secrets are not like some kind of mysterious puzzle that if you you know find your way through the labyrinth you get the answer. It's not a secret because it's something that only somebody who can kind of crack the code can come to come to can can be can given access to, but it's a secret because it's something that exists on an inner level that a person really only truly comes to know 
by having that space open within them and having something echo inside. And this is reflected in a number of ways. In one sense, the word Kabbalah, which is the name for the secret domain of Torah, for Sadota Torah, it actually means a transmission, a reception. It's an awareness that's received. It's knowledge, if you will, or a awakening and understanding insight that is received. Now, some say it's called Kabbalah because it has to be transmitted from teacher to student, from mouth to ear, a kind of hidden tradition. And that's one way of explaining it. But even there, it's something that's received through intimate interaction. And others say it's Kabbalah because as we see the great Mikubalim, the mystics, who all reported that their teachings they truly learned from these kind of spiritual teachers who were were not, you know, human beings, human teachers sitting with them, but but learning their Torah from Eliyahu Hanavi, as the Arizal spoke, as the Ramchal said, or as we see in, in the Zohar, throughout the Zohar from Rabbi Shimon, learning Torah from a Magid, from a kind of um, speaking, teaching spirit, like the Rav Yosef Karo learned from a Magid and the Ramchal as well. Or the Baal Shem Tov, who speaks about having his teacher, Achia Hashiloni, who was alive in the time of Eliyahu Navi, the teacher of Eliyahu Navi, in the times of the prophets and the Beitin of David Melech. These are all expressions of a kind of receptivity that these great teachers were attuned to within themselves that opened a kind of channel through which they received these hidden teachings. I want to share with you a small piece from the Piyasetzin Rebbe in his Sefer Derech HaMelech. He speaks about the idea of Kabbalah in these dual meanings of Kabbalah being both reception, receptivity, acceptance, and also Kabbalah as pertaining to the hidden realm of Torah. And this is a drasha from Pesach, second night of Pesach, near Tafresh Tzadi, I believe that's 1930. And here the Rebbe is, is discussing Kabbalat Torah, the receiving of Torah, not merely as acceptance of obligation of mitzvot, but primarily as acceptance of the giver of Torah, as acceptance of the divine source, the divine reality acceptance of God within ourselves, through which we can then receive the particulars and the details of, of, of the divine teaching. But the ikar, the, the root of Kabbalah the Torah, rests upon Kabbalah HaMitzaveh, the Kabbalah in acceptance of the one who is issuing command, the Kabbalah of Kabbalah Notena Torah, receptivity and acceptance of the beyond, from which Torah emerges. And he says here that this is what is referred to in the Tikkunei Azor as Mare de Kabbalah. Tikkunei Azor speaks of the masters of Kabbalah, who are Ne'echazim Begufa de Malka. They are enwound with the body. They're grabbing onto the body of the king. That's the image given by the Tikkun Ezor. And he goes on there and he says, He says, you know, to become a master of Kabbalah, it's not merely about studying Kabbalistic books. And this is a theme we see throughout the Pizasna's writings, that the Sodot Torah, the secrets of Torah, 
are not defined by what's written in specific books, by Kabbalistic maps and language and, and certain spine. Because if it's written, it's not a secret. If you can open a book and read it, it's by definition not sod. Sod, he says, secret, is that which speaks so intimately inside of a person that they can't actually express it in words to another. It's a kind of intimate, private awareness and communication that somebody can receive and give attention to inside of themselves, that they feel and know within themselves, that it is inexpressible. That's a secret. And it's a secret because, in essence, it cannot be disclosed. So to be of Mare Kabbalah, a master of reception, a master of receivings, of accepting, it's not just about the books that you read. It says, it's as we've been speaking, it's receiving the divine upon ourselves, receiving godly reality, accepting God into our being. And that's why, he says, they're called the people who are they're holding on to the body of the king. There's a kind of binding between one and the other that, that somebody's grabbing on to the divine in an embodied way. And their entire being is brought more and more inward. And if that's how somebody is relating to the divine, that they feel like they're grabbing on and just being drawn further and further inward, so then therefore, even for their own cognitive or mental understanding, it's not enough for them. They're not satisfied with the levush of the Torah, which was called the garment of the Torah, the outer expression of Torah. Rather, the person needs their mind and intellect and understanding to also enter into those inner realms. To behold, to, to have a fuller sensory and and even mental experience of this divine that they know, that they accept and receive so deeply within their being. So we see here that in the Pizetzner's teaching here, Kabbalah really has to do with that which is received inwardly, with that which not only exists within us, but in a similar way of, we were speaking of the word of Hod, that I actually give it space to reverberate and resound inside. I, I give attention to it. I listen to what it is that I'm receiving and perceiving, and I just open up the halal, the, that open space for it to echo inwardly. And, and, and in truth, the teachings of the Zohar, of Sudota Torah, the tradition is that they are teachings that you know, it's as if like a drop of divine water like drops into the cave and, and resounds, and there's there's revelation that happens there. There's an uncovering that happens there. Um, I want to to share just a, an expression of this, and also just lichvod the night lichvod like Omer, have to read from the Zohar. A uh, relatively well-known teaching from the Zohar. It's always funny when you call something well-known. 
from whatever realm of Torah. It's only well known to those to whom it's well known. But this is a section of Zohar from what's called the Saba de Mishpatim, the grandfather who shows up in Prussia Mishpatim with all sorts of very deep teachings. And the Zohar here is speaking about the ways in which the Torah reveals and hides itself. And it starts off by saying that the way that the Torah is, is that it, I'll read part in the Aramaic and then translate, The way of the Torah is that it removes a matter or a word or a piece of itself from its enclosing, its nartik, its encasement. And it's seen little by little. It's glimmered the umiyad itmarat, and then immediately it's concealed again. It hides itself again. This is certainly the way of Torah, of uncovering itself for a moment from its encasing and then returning to concealment. The times at the Torah reveals herself from her covering and then conceals itself immediately. It only does this to those, and listen to these words, who know it, and those who are known through it, those who are known by it, those who are known in it. That the Torah will only reveal itself, even this kind of uncovering just for a moment before it jumps back into concealment. This only happens and is, is kind of gifted to those who both know Torah and are known by Torah. Meaning that it's not enough. Again, the relationship isn't one in which I merely study or know or grasp or gain knowledge or read a lot of books or quote a lot of words. This degree of Torah being revealed, of Torah being something that is revelatory and uncovered to me, can only happen if I know Torah and am known through Torah, which means on some level that the revelation of Torah is not merely about Torah making itself known to the world, that the revelation of Torah is actually something that reveals something of us. We are known through the Torah. We are known by the Torah. Our interaction with Torah is such that it uncovers knowing of ourselves a kind of self-knowledge and awareness that we had not or would not understand or come to know without it. And it's only through our engagement with Torah that it is uncovering these layers of self, which, again, is a quality of, of hod. It's a quality of the echo that the Torah leaves and resounds within me when I engage with it. And the Zohar brings a mashal and a, and a parable to this. And, and this parable, like many of the parables of the Zohar and, and of Chazal in general, is, is a gendered parallel between a beloved woman and a, and a, and a man who, who loves her. But, but these are just the symbols used and, and, and the language speaks to the heart and the experience of every single person, or at least of every person who, who can relate. Mashal amaha davar What is this likened to? Lurechinta. To a beloved, she is beautiful, 
and she is hidden in hiding within her chamber. This beautiful, beloved woman. And she has a single love, a beloved. Who nobody knows about. And he, too, is, in a sense, her hidden love. This lover of the maiden, from the love that he has for her, he passes by the gates of her house constantly. He lifts up his eyes, he looks around in all directions. She knows that her lover, her beloved, is passing and encircling the gates of her house constantly. What does she do? She opens up a tiny opening in that hidden chamber in which she is hiding. And she reveals her face to the beloved. And she immediately returns and hides her face again. Everyone else who's standing around, the lover, the beloved, they don't see it. They're not looking. Only the beloved himself is the one who notices. His, his intestines, his innards and his heart and his soul, they go, they chase after her. They're just drawn. To her, and he knows that it is from the love that she has for him that she reveals herself to him for that one moment, in order to arouse him, to awaken him. This is the way. This is how it is with matters of Torah, with words of Torah. They're only revealed to a lover. We talked earlier about one who knows Torah and is known by Torah, one who is known through Torah. Here the Zohar says, this is a rechima, this is the Torah's beloved. The Torah knows that that one of the wise heart surrounds its gates all day long, encircles its gates all day long. What does the Torah do? The Torah reveals its face to this person from within its chamber and drops a hint to this person. And then immediately returns to its place to hide. Everybody who's around, they don't see, they don't know. Only this person themselves knows, senses the hint that the Torah has revealed to them, and then concealed immediately. The person's heart, the person's innards, the person's soul are just running after, drawn after. The Torah, 
In this way, the Torah is revealed and, and covered, revealed and hidden. For Azlat, and it chases after lovingly. It in love, it goes after the beloved. The Torah goes after its lover to arouse it and to awaken it to love. Come and see, this is the path of Torah. In the first beginning stages, when the Torah begins to reveal itself to a person, it hints things to the person, it intimates certain hints. I don't that word to intimate. It's just a beautiful use of language. To intimately communicate something. To intimate. How do you put a verb to that? It drops hints to a person. If the person knows, if the person catches it, great. But if the person doesn't know, if they can't quite absorb it, so then the Torah sends after this person, and calls the person, you fool, a fool. The Torah says to the one that it is sending after, Tell that foolish person to come closer, to come here so that I can speak to them. As it says, Who is the fool? Let them come here. Let them turn to come here. The one who is empty of heart, who's missing a heart, let them come. Kariv Gabar, person then, hears the Torah calling them a fool. That experience, perhaps, of feeling like just confounded, encountering our own sense of ignorance, not just in knowledge, but in just being bewildered by, by this reality. And somehow sensing that the Torah perhaps is the place we turn when we face our own foolishness, our, our own absence of heart, and looking for something to speak to me through that divide, through that empty space. So I come closer to it. Kariv l'gaba, shriyat l'malla imei mibata perochta v'parsavei. The person brings himself closer to Torah, and Torah begins to speak with this person from behind a curtain that the Torah is placed before it. It's just so beautiful, the word parochet is actually what we place in front of the Aaron Kodesh. The Torah is behind a parochet, speaking to us through the curtain. Speaking to this person according to their own path, in their own way, in their own language. So the person can actually begin to see a little bit and a little bit more. This is the drasha. Right, you first spoke about the remez, the kind of hints of Torah. Now, the Zohar says, a more intimate form of seeing Torah, not just hearing words, but hearing the words in our way, in our language, and then being able to glimpse something from behind that curtain. This is called drasha. These are our Zohar midrashas, already the drasha of Torah, which even that word, lidrosh, it actually truly means to seek, that there is a kind of interaction with Torah where it's not just that I have a hint of something there, some kind of sense that there is what to receive. But here, I'm actively seeking out. I draw myself closer and I even get a chance to peek through the curtain just for a moment. Then, 
person can kind of graduate to the next level of intimacy with Torah. The Torah speaks to the person speaking to a person through a very thin veil, a very thin garment. Words of riddles. That's the level of agadata, the stories, the story teachings of Torah, which that word Hagada actually means the telling. There's a way of being told something a little more directly even through this indirect, slightly indirect way. We're told something directly through the story that we're not told through the trasha. There's still a garment separating us, but it's thinner, it's permeable. There's something greater being communicated to us through these stories, through this Hagada. Levatar and then, after a person is regil, has been habituated, or spent a lot of time with Torah, they've gotten to know each other. Then <laughs> the Torah reveals itself to this person face to face. And she reveals to this person all of the hidden secrets. All of her hidden secrets. All of the hidden pathways that were in, that were concealed in her heart, from the earliest times. The sense the Torah sharing its intimate self with us, face to face, its own secrets and those paths of its heart, the heart of Torah being uncovered to us. Then a person is considered shalem, is considered whole. And here, I just can't help but bring back the image of Yaakov Avinu when he came to Shechem. It says, Vayavu Yaakov shalem yishchem. The rabbi says, shalem begufo. He was whole and his body had been healed. Shalem betorato. His Torah had become whole. That that difficult struggle, battle, and then path that he had to walk through of injury into healing also brought him to a place of shlemut, to a place of wholeness, perhaps in a similar way that we have to encounter and work our way through the shadows of Torah until it can finally reveal itself in its face and bring us to a place of shlemut, of wholeness. Baal Torah vadai, mari deveta, then the person is considered a Baal Torah, a master of Torah, Mari Deveta, the master of the house. For now, all of the Torah's secrets are revealed to this person. It is not distant from him, and it is not covering or concealing anything from him. This is obviously speaking about a kind of intimate knowing of Torah, not knowledge, but knowing of Torah and, and, and embeddedness in Torah, which is really quite rare, and which perhaps some of our great teachers throughout the generations, and hopefully even in this generation, are, are attuned to. Perhaps. Perhaps not. <laughs> Amralei, and now listen to this. Then the Torah says to this person, "Chamit mila deramiza deramaza dekaramizna lach bikadnita." Did you see 
those hints that I gave to you all the way back in the beginning, in the beginning of this love affair, in the beginning of this relationship, you're just, I gave you all those hints. Now you know, it was this secret, it was this thing, this is what I was trying to tell you, this is what I was trying to intimate to you, what I was hinting to you, with those hints. Now you see what it meant. And then the person sees that on these words of Torah, remember we said, the, the, the Zohar here is describing the way of the word of Torah. One word that is a hint and a riddle and an uncovering and a revelation and an intimate knowing and a communication. It's only at this point when the person reaches that most intimate bond with Torah that they can now see that the words of Torah themselves are not to be added to or taken away from. Right? We have a, a mitzvah, not to add or subtract anything from the Torah. This can only be truly understood and perceived by somebody who, who encounters that full depth of what, what the Torah contains. V'k'tein u'k'tein pashtei dekra kamadi'ihu and then, only then, the person sees the pshat of the kra, the simple words of Torah themselves, of Torah as chumash, of the Torah. Torah shebichtav, as they are, kamadihu, the lavlos that they can't be added to or subtracted even by a single letter. That the fullest outcome or consequence of revelation is that a person looks at the most basic, simple thing before them and now sees it in its wholeness, sees it for what it is, and understands that it's all there in that very thing, in that very letter, in that very word. And here, I want to relate again to the Midah of Hod, to the quality of Hod, that Hod, again, we said it's a kind of beauty, but what kind of beauty is it? What kind of glory is it? It's the kind of beauty that emerges, that only is revealed when it is given space. When an opening has been created through which something can emerge and echo and develop and be uncovered and noticed. And when it is fully noticed to us, then we can look at it and we can say, this is so beautiful. That what Rabbi Shumbar Yochai went through in his whole journey into the cave and out of the cave and back into the cave and out of the cave again and through the streets of Tiberia, finding purity and impurity, path of purity through an impure field, that what it's describing on some level is developing a sense of hod, a sense of allowing and admitting that which is here to truly show itself to us, to truly reach its fullness, and for us to honor and receive and be in relationship with that. And on some level, this day of Al-Sefirat Omer, you know, if you look at just the, in a simple sense, just looking at the, the Kabbalistic um, overtones of Sefirat Omer, that every day is a Sefira, a Mida within a Mida, a Sefira within a Sefira, if we just take a step back out of the details of what those things might mean, on, on a very broad level, Every single day of Sefirat Omer, we are being reminded that the very energies and components that compose my self, my being, my reality, are 
the divine realities, the divine composition, that I'm in a sense painted from the divine colors, and that the avoda of Svirata Omer through the Svirot is, is merely to remind myself of that and seek to fully embody that a little bit more each and every day. In this quality, in this quality, in this quality, but on the broad scale, to embody more of the divine sentimental keen that I am a product of, that I am composed of, that I embody. It's in a sense to embody the hod, that that uncovering of the glory and, and kind of glow that that exists within me, but that is only noticed when it's given space. And that can only be uncovered when there is a ability to make space for it receive it, admit it, and allow it to be. There's a teaching for the Baal Shem Tov, a tradition for the Baal Shem Tov, that every single day there's a new perush, a new commentary written on the Zohar. Whereas I was told by my teachers that the Baal Shem Tov teaches every time we learn Zohar, we're writing a new commentary on because the Zohar itself is, in a sense, not a book that's stuck in its words. It's not a composition with a beginning or an end. I mean, we don't even know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written. We don't know where it ends. There's the Zohar, and then there's all the other sections of Zohar that have different names and, and have different different language and, and origins. And there's Tikkunei Zohar. And you know what? There's even Mikubalim who've written their own Zohars. The Ramchal wrote his own Zohars. And, and, and other mystics have written their own sections of Zohar, Zoharic language. It's a book that has no end and no beginning because it's a book that is the revelation of what happens when we encounter the divine in this moment, what happens when we encounter the divine of the Torah in this moment. It's a book of Hod. Zohar itself means a shining light, but again, like a glowing light. And the way of Hod is a glowing light, a kind of receptivity that produces an echoing glow. This is the shining of the Zohar. This is the shining of Hod Shabahod. And we write a new commentary every time we open it because it's the communication that's happening in this moment, in the encounter between us and the heart of Torah. And it's a communication that we truly perhaps can only get a glimpse of in moments. And also, perhaps the avoda, the work on us, is to open ourselves to let its images and words and sensations and sounds just basically resound and reverberate within our own very being. To allow its secrets to be revealed, not out there on a page, but to whisper something from within ourselves to our own awareness to our own senses and perception. And to not only embody that Sanamalakim that is ours, but but to begin to gain a greater appreciation for the Sanamalakim of others, for the divine image of another person, which is the repairing or the tikkun of the tragedy of Rabbi Akiva students, who held all of the knowledge of Torah, but could not honor one another, could not fulfill the basic mitzvah that their teacher taught of of the overriding principle to love another as yourself, which can only truly be lived as a guiding principle when we know, or at least have enough of a sense of the divine potentiality within ourselves and the divine composition and potentiality within another. So I bless us with gate openings.
with heart openings, with body openings, with mind openings, and Torah openings. And for each one of us to continue to seek that hidden path to the hidden love that the Torah has to communicate with us in our own words and our own way. Chag Sameach. Many of these recordings are from Rabbi Ami's ongoing weekly classes given at Yeshivat Sharei Shalom in Jerusalem. For more information, go to shalom.org.il forward slash about. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Rav Daniel Cohn. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.